This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Hello, everyone. <laughs> My name is Sam LaCrosse, and this is another episode of the Do Not Listen to This Podcast. Can you dig it? I certainly can, because I am actually leaving in about two hours. Not leaving the podcast. You're probably going to still see me next week until I, unless I get like hit by a bus or shot by somebody in the city I'm going to. But um, I'm flying out from Austin to the city of Chicago for the weekend. So I got a buddy that plays college football up in, is it a captain of a college football team that plays up in Chicago this weekend? And um, he's actually hurt. He's a very violent football player, which, which I love personally. I love football because of the violence. And um, he, uh, so he's not going to play, but I'm going to watch his team play. And I love Chicago personally. I, I, you know, it's, it, it's a shame that, you know, Lori Lightfoot is just absolutely just a horrible human being and fucking ruining it. But anyway, I love the city. It's a beautiful city when it's not getting trashed by, and it's not just her, by the way, it's a lot of other people. And it's, you know, so I want to go up there, just kind of take a breather. It's really going to be my first, like, big boy vacation by myself, which is kind of cool. And, um, you know, go up there, chill out, um, you know, just, my, I, I have really four goals when to walk up, go up there. Sleep, watch my buddy play football, UFC 266 is this weekend, even though I don't really give a fuck about the card. I think Max Holloway is better than both people that are fighting in the main event anyway. And Valentina Shevchenko is going to smoke Lauren Murphy, I think. And, uh, well, the Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler fight, I think, is easily the most entertaining on the card. And so what was the fight? The deep dish. The deep dish is one of the few food items in the entire world. I can't stand, like, you know, when some, you know, back fuck town in Mississippi is like, we got the best goddamn whatever on the thing. And, you know, people like to say that Chicago deep dish pizza is like, oh, my God, it's so good. It's so good. Well, it really is so good. Chicago deep dish pizza is really good. Texas barbecue is another one of those things. Texas barbecue is really good. And uh, so I'm going to get a deep dish pizza. I'm going to watch the fight. I'm going to sleep a lot. I'm going to watch my buddy play football. And I'm going to walk among the city because I think I do think the city is gorgeous. So I'm going to stay out of the south side in hopes to not get shot. So anyway, um, so I this was an interesting thing because I originally wanted to uh, do one post and I actually had half a podcast done before I you know went in and tried decided to change my mind because. There are some things about that that podcast I might want to save for the future, and you know, again, I have a I have an announcement coming soon about some a big project that I'm working on, and um, you know, so I, it's going to tie into that and everything. So I was like, nah, I don't really want to do that. Well, when do I want to revisit? So I'm going to be living a pretty comfortable lifestyle this weekend. I am going to be in a hotel. I'm going to be eating very very good pizza. I'm going to be watching some good football. I'm going to be watching a lot of good fights this weekend, at least hopefully. But 
it, it, so I thought I'm like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to run tomorrow cause I'm training for that marathon. I'm not going to do anything else involving really hard physical activity. So I'm going to do hard mental activity instead. And my early posts on my blog, I don't think are very good, like at all. And I think one in particular, at least like the memory of writing it is so bad that I'm like, you know what? Let's fucking put it out there and see how it works. Maybe it's not as bad as I thought it was, as I thought it was going to be. Maybe it is as bad as I thought it was going to be. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the post that I really liked at the time, but turned out to just loathe. And honestly, I'm like ashamed of it with all my being and just kind of see how it is. So going to really kind of try to gut this one out, mental stamina, mental suffering and to, you know, compensate for the physical suffering I'm going to have this weekend. And we're just going to get right into it. So here we go. I knew from the second I finished the trailer that The Wolf of Wall Street was going to be the defining film of my generation. I just turned 16 years old when I first heard about it. And when I saw the high school, my, my high school football team locker room hyping it up for days, I knew I had to get on the, in on the action. What I experienced was more than I could have ever imagined. Movie trailers are supposed to grab your attention. They're supposed to make you feel something. They're supposed to make you pay high amounts of money for a spot in a cramped theater for hours to watch all the actors who are profiting off of that money describe an aspect of life. What the trailer for this movie did, however, was something entirely different. And little did I know, it was going to change my world and the world around me in an incredible way. Forever. It made you feel things. And not just a fleeting emotion here or there, but a sustained feeling that stuck with me for at least an hour after I watched it. It was dangerous. It was exhilarating. It was fresh. It was new. It was inspirational, believe it or not. I knew as I sat in my chair after watching that, watching that, that this was going to be something special. However, being only 16, I had to keep it on the down low for the time being. So, like the good little boy I wanted to see, who wanted to see a bad movie, I kept it close to the vest. I didn't expose anything about this movie to the ultimate gatekeeper who, until I could ultimately spring it on her in the last possible moment the one who was so pure that only a moment of complete surprise and unintentional ignorance could get her to relent. My mother. My mom, God bless her soul, is the most innocent and pure person I've ever met on this earth. So, knowing that, I knew there was no absolute, absolutely no way in hell that she was going to let me see this movie. No fucking way. So I made a plan to catch her by surprise until at the one place on this earth where moms around the world universally let their guards down, even if only for ten minutes. Target. So I waited for my shot, and I took it. I let, all, let out all the stops. I played the, it's my birthday card, no pun intended. I used my own money. I begged. I begged a lot. And, I, and she finally relented. I'm pretty sure my voice went to pitch higher than my sister's had ever gone in her life. So, after I somehow convinced my mom to buy me a DVD for an R-rated film that should definitely have been an NC-17 NC rated film, I immediately ran downstairs turned off all the lights, and locked in for three hours to take, in, take it in and watch, watch it in its entirety. I was blown away. One of the few times anything had ever lived up to the hype myself and the rest of the world had granted it, and this film had done it. The Wolf of Wall Street is a great film, and I mean a great film, and I mean a fucking full-on Tony the Tiger great film. However, the one thing that it did better than most other movies I had seen was what I had mentioned earlier. It made me feel something, as it did to nearly every other male in my generation. To explain to all who haven't seen the film, basically goes like this. This guy who wants to be a dentist named Jordan Belford, who was played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who some consider the most handsome man in the world, leaves dental school to get a job on Wall Street trading stocks. 
Turns out he's pretty good at it. He gets laid off during the market during the market correction. The market took a nosedive, and gets a job trading penny stocks, which are basically really small public companies that typically trade with share prices below one dollar. However, on these stocks, you make fifty times more commission on a sale than you do trading stocks at larger, more established firms that everyone knows about. And hint, it's because no one wants to buy them. He then forms his own firm in order to con people out of their money to invest in these companies so him and his crew of underlings can profit extensively off of that ignorance of their buyers. He gets away with it for a while, but eventually the feds catch him, throw him into federal prison, and make him pay $110 million in restitution to his victims. He now works as a motivational speaker, giving conferences on how to become a better salesman. He makes $50,000 per speech. If you are not one of the afflicted people of this movie or have never seen it, you may be asking yourself, how in the fuck could this ever inspire a whole generation of primarily male youth to feel anything but a glaring do-you-not-know-what-this-guy-did flag flaring up in your emotional subconscious? Well, skeptic, I'll tell you. It's something that's incredibly underrated, but arguably the best motivator in the world. Ambition. It made my generation feel that this is our definition of success. That this is the pinnacle of human achievement. That this is where we were meant to go. It was a rocket fuel for a generation of recently testosterone-injected minds of guys to dream big. To achieve. To make money. Lots of money. Take the intro of the movie for context. The first scene of the movie is about four and a half minutes long, but it does the best thing any creative individual can do to create demand for a product. It hooks you in. And this movie did it better than any other movie I'd ever seen. In those four minutes, we see Jordan Belfort throw midgets and Velcro suits at a target with those aforementioned underlings. Flex's wife, Margot Robbie, who many consider to be the most beautiful woman in the world, gets said wife to blow him in a white Ferrari going 100 miles an hour down the highway, rattle off a list of all his other worldly possessions, including cars, horses, and a 170-foot yacht and a humongous estate, snort coke out of a prostitute's ass, crash his helicopter into a yard while high on the coke he snorted out of the prostitute's ass, and then wake up the next morning to rattle off a list of six different types of drugs he does every day while being driven to work by a chauffeur in the back of a limo wearing a $5,000 suit. Getting to see why this can be attractive to 16-year-old boys yet? However, the last part of the introduction is easily the most important. When he arrives at work, Belfort realizes that he's forgotten the most powerful drug of all, one, quote, that is my absolute favorite. You see, enough of this shit will make you invincible. Enough to conquer the world and eviscerate your enemies. Thielen does a line of coke with a $100 bill, crumbles that $100 bill up, bill up into a ball, and throws said bill and ball into a garbage full of other crumped up balls of $100 bills. So, hint, he wasn't talking about the coke. He was talking about money. The drug that has led to everything this man had acquired had because, been because of the one addiction he had before all. Money. The company, drugs, women, and everything that came with it was because of money. And he's right. Money runs the world. His world, at least. And he closes his monologue out with this. Quote, See, money doesn't just buy you a better life, better food, better cars, better pussy. It also makes you a better person. You can give generously to the church or a political party of your choice. You can save the fucking spotted owl with money. End quote. But then he ends it with this. Quote, it also makes you a better person, end quote. And that was when it was over. That's Shawn Michaels off the top rope. That's when everyone was hooked. 
All the rabid young people that clamored in the movie theaters think that they were seeing a popcorn flick about the rise of rags to riches individual achieved success, instead got something much greater. They got an excuse. An excuse to think that these actions were okay, that there were rules to live by, that this is what you should strive for, a lifestyle that has a lot of sex appeal, but it was immediately followed by a lot of STIs. Every reasonable person looking objectively from the outside in would think that this is absolutely fucking nuts. Even the real Jordan Belfort, this film was based on a true story that was written in a book, which is also excellent, believe it or not, tried to tell people that he wasted this part of his life being an absolute and unequivocal degenerate, which he was. But every person that was swayed by that idea thought it was different, that it was okay. And that wasn't all. Throughout the movie, there are scenes in the movie that reinforce this behavior. People who aren't aggressive and callous towards people are called, quote, worthless fucking losers. People who aren't in ambitious positions, specifically in finance, are second-class citizens to those that are. People who don't obey what this God-complex character says are immediately destroyed by him and his cult-like supporters. And that's what changed the world. Not the film itself, but the feeling that the film gave a whole generation of young people. And the shift was almost also instantaneous. It wasn't just me and my friends who were hooked. Everyone in our generation was. We quoted, we quoted lines on Twitter. People started jerking off to business plans and startup pitches. People started looking down on others who didn't go to college, or who didn't have the ambition to do well in business or a related field. Here are some startling statistics for you. At the time, I was going to the third largest university in the world. We had almost 60,000 undergraduate students. My business college at the time had 8,000 undergraduate students, with over 10 majors to choose from. Going into my sophomore year, the two most popular majors were finance and operations management, with roughly 1,000 students in each, and every other major trailing behind. Fast forward two years, and finance is over half the college. The amount of finance majors has nearly quadrupled. It's gotten so cramped that the highest ranking senior students are having to take elective classes at 8 o'clock at night in order to graduate on time. It is now the most popular major by a large amount, mind you, of any other major in the whole university, which offers over 200 majors, and includes majors like biology and psychology. This is what I like to call the Wolf of Wall Street effect. This one film single-handedly caused a domino effect that inspired a large amount of young people to flood the world with ambitious, wannabe, cutthroat young people who wanted to change the world through investment banking and stock trading, and anyone else who opposed them would be crushed in their path. If you ain't first, you're last. Quote Ricky Bobby there. Now, let me be clear on what I'm not saying. I am not saying that the Wolf of Wall Street has inspired all my gener my, the young men of my generation to be degenerates and to act as immature and immoral as possible to get what they want. That's like saying violent video games and rap music cause school shootings and the weapons are the reason that people kill one another. That's an absolutely ridiculous and entirely lazy argument to make. I am simply saying that this was simply the right place at the right time, that the film simply was the spark that ignited a pile of kindling a whole generation of film to think a certain way. Maybe a naked Margot Robbie was the bottle of lighter fluid, I don't know. Because we all want to find success. We just need to know where to look. And if you throw a three-hour film of braggadocio and excess in the screen in front of impressionable teenagers, well, you're going to get what you're going to get. This has happened before, but with other things in other cultures. Nazi Germany, hippies, and the powerlifting craze in the 1980s are all similar scenarios. It really break them down. A whole generation of people becoming so synchronized with one system of belief that it becomes their Bible, their purpose. They're all homogeneously bound at the hip moving step for step with one another to march on in one unilateral path.
until it eventually destroys them. Because, as it turns out, people are different. And those differences will eventually expose themselves. And for those who don't like different, they will try to set out to rectify anyone who doesn't conform and try to control you. And they will shame you if you don't. Because when everyone is doing it and you're not, you feel left behind. In the film The Dark Knight, the Joker explains the Wolf of Wall Street effect perfectly in this monologue while talking about the ruling class of society. Quote, You see, their morals, their code. It's a bad joke. Dropped at the first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allows them to be. I'll show you. When the chips are down, all these civilized people, they'll eat each other. See, I'm not a monster. I'm just ahead of the curve. I was originally a product of this effect. I began to look down on people for going to community college, for going into a trade, for doing anything that I considered to be, quote, lesser. But to be successful, I had to be exactly what society portrayed it to be, especially in that movie. But this is all wrong. Immensely wrong, in fact. This study and theory of Belfordism can be debunked by because of one simple reason. We don't have a pure definition of what success is. It doesn't exist. It never landed. It is no matter. It is not in the elemental chart. It's not fucking real, to quote another quote from the film to the great Mark Hanna played by, the, by Matthew McConaughey, which is just so funny if you've never seen the movie, so watch it. Success is arbitrary. It's different for every person. To tell someone that their version of what they want, want or what success is for them is wrong is simply inaccurate. Of course, in certain situations, alignment is needed. If you're all working on a project for school or work, success of the overarching collective should be do, do well on the project. On an individualized basis, however, this is completely wrong and dangerous, in fact. Movements like this are happening all over the country, but just manifesting themselves in different ways. People are ignoring their body type and scrutinizing themselves constantly to try to be something that they're not, either bloating or starving themselves in the process. People are taking jobs in sectors of industry that they hate. Young people are crushing themselves in student debt when they're not even sure what they want out of life. So why are people doing this? Because that is Belfordism personified. That's what they're, quote, supposed to do in order to make themselves, quote, successful. But how can people know what they're supposed to do to make themselves successful if both of those words are completely arbitrary? Since I have a blog now and survived for about a year and a half, and considering the fact that the word is, the word is completely made up, I'll give you my definition for Belfordism, which has served as the main catalyst for the Wolf of Wall Street effect. Belfordism, as defined by the all-powerful blog and podcast guy, me, is the, is the notion of the one-size-fits-all lifestyle and success, that by doing X, you can achieve Y, and that everyone should do it, because if you don't, you're automatically considered less. And this is false. This is not a linear proposition. Life is simply too complex to be put on a chart and graphed. There are too many variables. If you think you know that the, all those variables, you don't. This goes far beyond letters and numbers and variables and coefficients. These are lives and livelihoods, missions and values. They're not meant to be graphed. They're meant to be expressed. They're meant to be lived. To extrapolate on this concept, I will detail a scenario that three of my friends have generously and willingly participated in to help me get my point across. Oh, now I know about this. Okay, so um, two of these people are not my friends anymore. This is actually, um, this is actually going to be, uh, it might be kind of painful to you. So, okay, here we go. 
Um, they all have similar traits. They're all women between the ages of 21 and 21 at the time. At the time. So this is about 18 months ago, 19 months ago. They're all from northern Ohio. They all do well in school, are passionate about the things they do, and are all incredibly strong-willed. So strong-willed that if you threw them all in a cage with a machete, a bottle of Axe body spray, and a tire iron, I'm not sure who would come out alive. However, they're also all different. Very different, in fact. Some came from wealth, others did not. Some came from supportive families, others have issues with their families. They all have different body types, different political views, different ways of seeing the world. Most importantly, they all want different things out of life. And this is why all this is so intriguing. They've asked me to keep this confidential. I really don't know if that matters, you know, this, this month longer. So anyway, so I will take $5 if really itching for their numbers or Snapchats, particularly the two that aren't my friends anymore. That would be pretty funny. Woman 1 is enrolled at one of the top nursing schools in the country where she has straight A's, has a cardiovascular research published, and is currently building her thesis. She also works as a teaching assistant for one of her professors and also does numerous shifts a week at the hospital that the university sponsors and funds. She's a homebody and doesn't care for pop culture and going out as much as the average woman her age does. She wants to work as an ICU nurse and begin, then become a nurse anesthetist. Eventually, she wants to settle down and have kids and live a balanced life so she can spend time caring for them. She wants her husband to be ambitious and driven, but still around enough so she can spend time with him. Her version of success making scary, is making scary situations a lot easier for people while still making time to bake cookies for her kids on the weekends. Woman 2 is studying pre-med and works full-time supporting herself throughout college as a lifeguard. She's going to graduate with two majors and three minors and wants to move to New York to go to medical school. She is currently working to edit medical articles for a large magazine and is potentially seeing a career alternative should she decide to move away from practicing. She wants to live in a nice house with her husband and a few kids and not have to worry about work-life balance at all. Eventually, she wants to move to her parents and family out to live with her so she can take care of them full-time, and so they have nothing to worry about. Her version of success is living a comfortable life where she can be a provider and have mutual support between herself and her family. Woman 3 is studying finance and recently went through a huge life pivot where she was questioning everything. After she got out of the funk, she completely altered her perception of what she was going to college for and decided that what she thought was important wasn't important to her anymore. She has now pivoted towards environmental science where she wants to go into environmental consulting and help coral reefs and companies become more economically efficient when it comes to the environment. She hates kids and she's not sure if she wants to get married. She wants to move far away from where she currently resides and has no intention of staying where she is after she graduates. Her version of success is making a good living and allowing herself to enjoy life and live free while also contributing to change around the climate and the environment, something that's very important to her. Okay, so now take yourself back into that cage, knowing what you know about these three women and what they think about their lives and success. We will run through two scenarios. One where Belfordism is in full effect, and the other where it isn't. Or at least it's mediated. In the first scenario, woman one tells woman three that her views on the climate are bullshit, and that she should spend more time doing something productive, like raising kids. Woman three calls her a four-letter word in response and throws the axe body spray at her, and tells, that she made her, hus and tells her that she made her husband cheat on her last week. Woman one grabs the tire iron, takes a swing at woman three, and accidentally clocks woman two in the face, which is okay, apparently, because she thinks it's stupid to live with parents anyway. Woman 2 responds by grabbing the machete and trying to take out Woman 1's left knee, telling her that her kids are ugly just like she is. She misses and instead stabs Woman 3, who takes offense because she thinks Woman 2 they think she's insecure and shallow for living without as much responsibility. Woman 3 then climbs the cage and clotheslines the other two women and a full-on brawl ensues. Two of them eventually die, and the other's opinion reigns supreme. In the second scenario, the women find out these, there are different options. 
or and different opinions, and they do something even more wild. They coexist. They know that they don't agree with everything the other says, and they know that this will result in leading them very different lives. But more, most importantly, they know that it is okay, because they are rational human beings who know that conforming to one degree of success just isn't just impossible. It's lazy. It shows no effort to simply conform and be something you really don't want to be or believe in things you truly don't believe in. They're confident in who they are and are not going to be swayed in either direction. They can disagree, sure. But at the end of the day, they accept their differences and they continue on. It doesn't affect them because they have their own lives to live. They're too busy being their own person, not trying to live for a concept of someone else. Now, while I would most definitely pay a large sum of money to watch the first scenario, in order to have a constructive view of society in the world, we must skew towards the second. As a society, we've become so clingy to one side of our beliefs that we've become, in, become, in, become to become intolerant ugh, of others. We've become so stuck with one way of doing things, we've begun to look down on the other side. This is not saying that I'm saying you should constantly live your life as a swing vote. That's the worst way to live as a person, with no foundation or hill to stand on. Have principles, have values, have morals. They're incredibly important. They're who define you as you define you as a person. However, be very careful when evaluating someone else. You rarely know someone that well to judge if what they're doing is wrong, unless it's so obviously heinous that it calls for it. For my three friends, or former friends in this case, their versions of success aren't right, but they aren't wrong either. They just are. For me to look at them in judgment would be foolish on my part, because I simply do not know enough to see from their perspective why they think things are right or wrong. And that's why Belfordism is a dangerous trend to live your life by. That is why balance is so important. So, by all means, see the movie. It's awesome. But remember to be tolerant of your own and others' lifestyles and successes once you get out of the movie. Because without different opinions, we're just one opinion. And that can lead to bad things. Very bad things. So... Thanks for listening, and always remember, if you were struggling for a version of success, I found that this is the one that always suffices. Cocaine and hookers, my friend. So, I'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Own the day. Open your mind. Thank you. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?